welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is ABCA 2022 Hall of Fame inductee Dave Barnett. Coach Barnett is entering his 35th season as the head coach at Flagler College. He's close to eclipsing the 1,000-win mark and his 12th in wins among active Division II coaches. Coach Barnett spent 15 seasons as athletic director and head coach at Flagler. He oversaw the transition from NAIA to Division II. Flagler competes in one of the most competitive conferences in Division II. Coach Barnett's been at every level of baseball from high school all the way to pro baseball. He's a 36-year continuous lifetime member of the ABCA. Get ready for an entertaining podcast. Uh, The game of baseball has taken Coach Barnett down many paths. We get a chance to discuss his playing career, including his time with Eddie Fainer and the King in his court. We also cover his coaching tree, his love of Flagler College, and being grateful for your opportunities. Let's welcome Dave Barnett to the podcast. Here with Dave Barnett, head coach Flagler College since 1988, uh, 12th in wins for active Division II coaches, did his grad work at Iowa, 36-year lifetime member of the ABCA, and now ABCA Hall of Famer. So, Dave, thanks for jumping on with me. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I've got to jump right into this question. What was your experience like with the King and his court, uh, 80 to 83, and then went back in 88? So I'm, I'm intrigued by the story. Well, you, you know, you have to be older to remember old Eddie Fainer and uh, the four-man fast-pitch softball team. But, yeah, it's a, it's a long story, which I won't bore you with. But, no, it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, I, I joked because, you know, I was done playing baseball. Well, I didn't think I was done. But I got released from the minor leagues. And, and I'm trying out like a lot of kids. I didn't want to give it up. And, I, you know, I got an opportunity to play with him and, ended up making, I guess you could say, a, a mini career out of it, played for him for about four and a half years and uh, traveled the country. So it was a chance to meet a lot of people and, uh, you know, that you normally wouldn't meet in your time. He was kind of, he was quite a celebrity back in that, in that generation and knew a lot of people. And really that's how uh, the University of Iowa evolved is we played in Iowa City 
and the it was called the Amana Hawkeye Classic. You might remember that when you were there for your nine years at Iowa. It was a fundraiser they did every summer, and you'd play in the golf tournament. We played in a pro-am part of the golf tournament, and, and then we played the uh, softball celebrity game afterwards, and and um, that's when I met Dwayne Banks. So that's kind of when I, you know, that got me jump started in my college coaching career. So I, I guess I owe it to Eddie Fainer to a degree. How did you get hooked up with him? I mean, it's not like, you know, how, how did you make that step where you get done playing, but then now I'm going to get the opportunity to go play with Eddie? Well, I was working out in Sanford at, a, at Sanford Memorial Stadium in Florida there and, and trying to stay in shape. And I had a tryout coming up with the Reds, actually. And, um, and this guy that was, that I worked for wanted me to promote this four man fast pitch softball team. And I'd never heard of it. And I really wasn't paying attention. It was like, Oh, there's some circus, you know, coming to town type thing. And, and long story short, I had to fill in that night for a shortstop that Eddie, the guy had, I don't know if he had quit or what happened the night before, but Eddie needed a fill in player that for just that particular night. So Instead of playing against the king in his court, I played for him that particular night. Afterwards, he said, would you fill in for six weeks until my son gets out of law school out in Ventura, California? I needed somebody to, to play for six weeks. So <laughs> he, he, the, the money he offered me, Ryan, I was making that much money in a month in the minor leagues. So I, it was like the guy I worked for looked at me like, are you stupid? Are you going to do this or not? So I I said, yeah, I'll, I'll play. So that's how I got hooked up. And then, so I just did it for six weeks that first uh, summer. And then he called me at the end of the season and said, hey, a couple guys retiring. Would you play full time? So I became a softball player. I think I may have seen you around that time. I remember King and his court coming to Bossy Field to play in Evansville. And it may have been after 83, but I do remember watching Eddie and King and his court at Bossy Field in Evansville, Indiana at some point. How about that? That's neat. That's neat. Good stuff. Played at Seminole, UNC, then Expos. I mean, talk about that. It didn't seem like maybe as many guys were going junior college to then Division One, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but just talk about the decision to go to Seminole first and then UNC. Well, I, I, I wasn't recruited, <laughs> Ryan, out of, out of high school. I, I went to a small high school and played all the sports, all but basketball. I could never shoot or dribble, so I couldn't play basketball. But, but no, I played football and ran track and and, and I, and baseball was just a seasonal sport, but now reality, and, and it's funny for young kids might not, it, it might not understand this, but I, I tell a lot of players at camps and stuff that you never know when, you know, when you might make that jump or when you might get better or might get coaching or whatever, but I always liked baseball. So anyway, I walked on at Seminole and, and the only reason I walked on there is, is, I, the, he had, the, the head coach there had been an assistant on a little league team I played at. Now he's a junior college coach. And so he knew me a little bit, but not as a player. I mean, he knew me back in little league. So he, and he was very honest. He was a tough coach. His name was Jack Pantelius. He, he probably should be in the hall of fame, but they named the field after him. He was there for a, a lot of years at Seminole. And he said, look, I'll, you know, I'll give you a chance. And so he, basically gave me a chance and and that was all I got and and made the most of it and then you know had a it didn't even play my first year hardly I was uh I always joke I was a designated runner for the catcher 
And so I led the team in runs scored and stolen bases, but I hardly had any at bats. I mean, it was, it was funny, but we had, our catcher was good. He got on base all the time. So that was, but I was learning the game and, and I really was green at that time. I didn't, I, I had some maybe physical abilities, but I didn't, he taught me really the game. And then, uh, and then I was fortunate enough that Mike Roberts was out recruiting. It was, his, it was going to be his first year. He was an assistant at North Carolina back in 1977. He became the head coach in 1978. So he was out recruiting in Florida and he was actually at a game to look at another player who that, that particular player was a shortstop that went to Mississippi state and, but he needed some outfielders and I was playing center field at Seminole and I don't know. He asked, you know, back then, you know, there was, I, I didn't even know he was at the game, but he had asked, asked our coach after the game, Jack Pantelis, he goes, tell me about your center fielder. So that's how that all he took place and evolved. And I ended up playing for coach Roberts in North Carolina. So you go from freshman to sophomore year, what allow you to kind of make that, that transition to being an everyday player then as a sophomore, where maybe you weren't getting to play as much as a freshman. Well, he, uh, Coach Pantelli has told me I needed to play summer baseball. And so he sent me up to what they called at the time the Clark Griffith League in Northern Virginia. And I went up and played there. And, uh, and that was the key because we played every day. The guy that I played for, he, had, he, he basically ran three teams in three different leagues. There was a Clark Griffith League. There was a league called the Maryland Industrial League. And then there was a league out of Baltimore. So I'm a Florida kid that I went up with a, with a teammate and we lived in the basement of these old couple's house. And, you know, it wasn't like it is now where you have host families. This wasn't a host family. These people that just wanted young people for safety to live. They let us live in the basement and anyway, for a dollar a day, if you can believe that. But, but anyway, we, yeah, we played summer that we played summer baseball and we played every single day. And I tell my players, you know, you got to get out and play to get better. You can't take the summer off. And I understand, you know, I argue sometime with my pitching coach about the pitchers, but I do understand if they pitch a lot during the season, maybe they don't need to go throw more innings in the summer, but an everyday player needs to go play summer baseball. And, and it doesn't matter what league you play in, but you got to play to get better. You can't take the summer off and expect to be better when you come back. So that was the whole key because playing a ton of games that summer, with this guy named Metzel March and, and he had three different teams and, and I came back and I was just a little more ready to play. And then, you know, my sophomore year, I kind of took off. Yeah. Summer ball, it was key for my development, but every position player I coached along the way, they got so much better playing. It allows you to work on things, you know, and the spring there's way more pressured to win there's going to be a lot more pressure on kids. Summer ball, they're able to go out and, and work on things, and they usually come back a much better player from over the summer because they've been able to work on things. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, let's back up a little bit. How did you know then when it was time to be done with, with King and its core, and I'm going to maybe get into the coaching side of things? Well, it was, you know, it, it's a grind. You know, we played 220 games, or we'd say shows, in six months, a lot of people didn't realize we were, we were traveling gypsies. I mean, it wasn't like a band where you go to a town and you play for a couple of days or something. We would, we would play and be on the van and drive in another six or eight hours or all night to get to the next town to do the same show again. 
So it was it wasn't as easy as people probably thought it was, or, or it wasn't as glamorous in the sense we're not flying to these places and staying in nice hotels or anything like that. So it was it was time. It was funny that, and that's a good question. If Eddie Fainer was younger, I might have made a career out of it. But he kept saying he was 55 when I joined him, and he said, "Ah, he goes, I'm just going to do it probably a few more years." So I knew that, and he ended up doing a lot more than that. But but it, it ended up, I, I just thought, you know, I can't, I can't do this the rest of my life, really. And he's older. But I knew, I, even at that time, I wanted to coach college baseball. So I had looked into a couple different places. I had talked to Mike Martin at FSU about a graduate, graduate assistant job. I had talked to the coach at Florida or at uh, Georgia Southern at the time. I think it was Jack Stallings, actually. It was his assistant who I communicated with. And because and I, I wanted to go to grad school. And then this all evolved or all happened when we just happened to be playing a game in Iowa City and Dwayne Banks, I told him, I said, you know, I really not, softball isn't my favorite sport. I'm not, I wasn't born to play fast pitch softball. I'm a baseball player that became a fast pitch softball player. So I said, I really would like to be a baseball coach. And, and he said, you know, he goes, I've got a grad, graduate assistant right now, but he'll be leaving after this next year if you'd be interested in that job. So it, before I left Iowa city, after that Amana classic event, he had offered me a graduate assistant position. And then as it turned out, the, the athletic director at the time, Bump Elliott, um, I guess told Dwayne, if he wants to start in January, instead of waiting till the next fall, he can. So I, I finished the tour with Eddie in October that year and then started graduate school in January of, I think that would have been 84. I mean, what did you pick up from Dwayne Banks? And we talked about Tom Petroff, too. So what did you pick up from those guys in your time at Iowa? Oh, my gosh. I, everything. Everything. I, You know, you, you transition from being a, a baseball player. Now you want to be a coach. And there's a lot of guys that say they want to be a coach. Well, I learned a lot. And it was great that, I mean, what a lucky guy I am to get, a work, get to work for a guy like that. And uh, taught me a tremendous thing. I mean, game management, how to control the game. Uh, just everything about baseball. He had, he had great assistant coaches that my last year, his assistant coach was a guy named Tom Petroff. So and anybody out there that doesn't know Tom Petroff or, or Dwayne Banks, if you're younger, Dwayne Banks and Tom Petroff are not only in the ABCA hall of fame, they're both lefty Gomez award winners, which is even the highest honor in, in the, that the ABCA gives. So, what a lucky guy I am to work for those two guys and to learn. And I, and I did, I, I, I kept my mouth shut. You know, I always say God gave you two ears and one mouth. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. And, and I, and I listened and picked things up and kept notes. And so after I left my three years as a graduate assistant at Iowa, three seasons, I felt like I had a pretty good base if I were if I were to have the opportunity to get a head coaching job someday working for those guys. Was but, the goal to always go back to Florida, the state of Florida and coach again at well, some point? Well, no, not, not at the time, Ryan, to be honest with you, like a lot of guys, I was, I, gosh, I'm trying to remember exactly how old I was probably in my late twenties, mid to late twenties. And, and now I've got a, you know, I've got a master's degree now, which at that time, it was you. It was a given to get in. If you to be a college coach, you had to have a master's because you had to teach. And nowadays, that's changed, of course. But um, 
you know, I, I thought, okay, I've fulfilled the requirements now to be a college coach, whether it's an assistant or a head coach, you know, more of a full, uh, obviously a full-time job. And uh, I sent out resumes all over the country, but I was willing to stay in Iowa. I remember I applied at Indian Hills. That was open. I think Buena Vista College was open. I was, I applied all over the place. And, you know, back then coaches didn't leave. There wasn't a lot of turnover. So it was tough. I, I got no, no bites. I finally got a bite where I got an opportunity to, uh, they flew me to Knoxville. Uh, John Whited was a head coach at the time. And he flew me in for an interview. I made a finalist for, a, at the time, it was a recruiting job. And, and I laughed because that was when that all started. They didn't have, baseball didn't have just recruiters as an assistant, as an assistant coach. And so I, I tell this story to young coaches and everybody, it's funny because they think you can make a bunch of money in this game. But the job was, it was basically the third, it was a recruiting coordinator but you were like the third assistant really too. I mean, you wouldn't dress out for, for practice all the time if they sent you out recruiting, but the job paid $15,000 for a recruiting coordinator with a $20,000 recruiting budget, which really back then, I think this was back in the mid eighties, probably wasn't bad. And then you got a car. That was the perk. You got a car. Of course, of course you were going to be driving across the country trying to find the right players. But anyway, I didn't get the job. So, uh, so I moved back to Florida and, uh, and really kind of fumbled around doing different things, but I did get a job at a place called boardwalk and baseball, which if, again, if it, it didn't last long, that the, the whole concept of that of boardwalk and baseball, it wasn't open for maybe six or eight years. Uh, and it ended up being the Royal spring training site, but, but it was, it was a kind of a stopgap job before I got to call it Flagler. And, um, and how that evolved is I, I finished my degree at Flagler because I signed out to my junior year at North Carolina. So I had never, I never went three years to co- or four years to college. So I had to finish up and that was my connection to Flagler. But quite honestly, never thought about coaching at Flagler. They had had a young coach. I never, I never even thought about that job ever being available or open or, or even an interest in it at that time, because it was, it wasn't much. I mean, it was a, a young, small college with, I mean, they didn't even have dugouts when I was there helping out. <laughs> so. Hey, what'd you learn from not getting the job at, at Knoxville? Cause I think that's part of the path is you get turned down for way more jobs than you get. So did you learn anything from not getting that job that maybe helped you get your next job? Well, you know, from an interview standpoint, no, no, everything was, was good. I I think what I learned is you just have to stay the course, you know, you have to be persistent. It's difficult. I think you talked about um, your story before we got on today about, you know, you're, you know, you're young, you're married, you got, uh, you know, I had a child. I mean, it was when I left Iowa, you know, I've, I've got a family now. So that, that, that weighs on you in the sense that you, you want to give it your best shot to get into baseball coaching and all that. But believe me, I had some thoughts too about it was, it was real close to making a, a, a career move and doing something different just because there wasn't anything available. I mean, I've got, I, I interviewed for a high school job I didn't get. And so, you know, it wasn't, I mean, 
believe me, there was rejections and not not jobs. And I don't think it had any, anything to do with the interview process. It was just, uh, you know, just didn't get the job. But you got to you got to be persistent. You got to stay the course. And and, you know, it's funny once you get a job, like when I got that job at Boardwalk and Baseball, then all of a sudden some other opportunities come about. And so that's kind of, you know, I, I was I'm, I was lucky that it all worked out because I was real close to making a career move. And believe it or not, that career move was going to be to work with UPS. Mine was bartending. I I was bartending in the beginning and I was making a lot of money bartending. And I was like, maybe I should turn this into a career because I'm killing this bartending right now. And my dad's one of my dad's college roommates owned a bar in Chicago. So I gave it two years at Evansville and then just was lucky that the job at JMU opened up because that was a pivotal moment for me where I was thinking about maybe moving to Chicago and working at, at Alcox for, for Frank, who I had known since I was a kid that I might go do that instead of, and get out of coaching. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you have to, yeah, yeah. If you really want to get in this business, and you, you gotta, you you can't you can't chase the money. I know it's gotten different now. I I tell all my young assistants, you know that, and and we can talk about them in a minute if you want. But you know, it's this this job at Flagler is a stepping stone. Really, you you need to keep your ears open because it is different. You know, back when I started coaching at Flagler back in 1987, when I was hired, there was I would say that. I wasn't making a lot of money, but there wasn't a big jump. It wasn't like, oh, I need to, I need to start sending resumes out, try to do a real good job here, maybe go to the Division One level to hit a home run. Well, now you can do that. It's it it wasn't like that. The high, I I don't know what the highest paid coaches were in Division One, but it wasn't. Well, it was. I I do remember this. Augie Garrido at Illinois, if you recall, back in and I want to say this could have been in the late '80s maybe even in the early 90s, it was just unbelievable. He was hired at University of Illinois for 100000 a year. How about that? That was like a million now. <laughs> and, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't, in my generation, and when I was a young coach, it wasn't like that. So you didn't look to jump around. You got a college job and you made the most of where you were. You weren't chasing that dollar. So it has, it's gotten different in that respect. And St. Augustine is awesome, by the way. I've been there one one time. I mean, it's if you're going to pick a place to to be and live and stay and coach, that's probably one of the places that you would want to be, correct? Well, that's, that's true. The quality of life as you get older is very important, for sure. How'd you manage 2002, 2003, you go to work for the Expos and managed in the summer. How did that come about? Well, that, that came about through a through an old assistant coach who was with me, a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Signor. He was my pitching coach for two or three years here at Flagler. He was from, he went to Quinnipiac and then he signed with the Brewers, played in the minors a little bit. And then anyway, his wife was a, a nurse and a specialty nurse. Well, they moved down to St. Augustine and she, she was a breadwinner because it was a part-time assistant coach. So she, she worked at the hospital here in St. Augustine and, and he was with me, I guess, for two years. And then she wanted to go back to Syracuse. Her family was there and she got a better opportunity there. So he moved back with her and he got a job as a BP thrower for the Syracuse chiefs, which is just a triple a affiliate at the time. I think of maybe the blue Jays or whoever they were, but somebody, there was a, I think it was, I'm not sure who it was. I don't know if it was Dave Littlefield, but somebody saw him throwing batting practice 
and they were the farm director for the Expos. And they needed a pitching coach in their New York Penn League team. So anyway, he joined the Expos and he became a pitching coach. And then he, when the, when the Marlins, I mean, when the, uh, if you remember when Montreal uh, basically was going to be contracted, Montreal and Minnesota, Major League Baseball was going to contract those teams, do away with them. And, uh, and so the Jeffrey Luria, who owned the Expos, bought the Marlins and brought all that staff with him or the guys that wanted to come. So that left the Expos depleted. And if you, I don't know if you remember this, but the Expos were owned by Major League Baseball. Basically every team had chipped in to keep them in operation. So they were shorthanded with, with scouts, with player development people and so forth. And Tom Signor made a comment to the guy that had, had been the assistant farm director, said, look, if you need somebody for the short season, there's a guy that actually played in the organization years ago, but, but he, I think he would do a good job. And so I get a call from the farm director and he uh, inter- basically interviewed me on the phone and then offered me the position to manage the team in the summer. And then I had to, of course, I had to get the blessing of our administration. And so my president at the time at Flagler, his son had played in the minors. So we had a nice conversation and I said, I said, Dr. Aber, I said, I've been here for 16 years. Could we maybe call it a sabbatical? I just want to, I just want to, I just, they, they've asked me to do this. It'd be a great opportunity. It's only for the summer because you know what, and that, in those short uh, A league, short A ball leagues, they play 76 games in 79 days. So you're, you're, it's a quick season really. So, so I went out and did that for those two summers and it was fun. Did you cross paths with Jamie Carroll at all? I can't remember. You know, I, I, he I would think have probably I been in Jamie. double A at that point. Yeah. He, I think he had just, I don't know if he had just finished playing, but I, I have, I, I did. Yes. I met, met Jamie just briefly at one time with actually, he was a heck of a player. I, I watched him play uh, when he played. He was really good. great story for, you know, an undersized guy that played 11 years in the big leagues. It's a, it, it's a phenomenal story and still doing it. Still impacting baseball is with the pirates working. So okay. You got a chance to coach overseas. Um, did that teach you anything leaving the States? I mean, anything you pick up leaving the States and getting out of the United States for the first time, did that teach you anything? Well, you know, I, I did that with uh, Pete Caliendo. You probably know Pete. Great guy. And he, he just asked me to go over and, and coach this team of guys that were going to play in Italy for a week or so. And I, I guess what I what – I, I say I learned from that that trip. It was a fun trip, and Pete's a great guy. Does a great job with those international trips. But, but uh, how how the people over there, the Europeans, they they really, I mean, baseball is a big deal, and and it's funny because they, you know, we're the we're the experts, right, in the game, and so so we we're playing these these teams of Italian kids and Italian coaches, and they're like really watching everything we do, and it was like. I don't know if they really knew that we're, we're, it's not that we're the guru. We didn't invent the game, but you know, it, it's an American game. And, and so they, it, it was, they really welcomed us uh, over there. And that was kind of neat because they, you know, they, they're over there, they're getting to play against American kids who, you know, play the game all the time growing up. And there it's, it's it, at that time, it was kind of a new game to them playing. We played a Korean college team. My dad set up an exhibition game, I think my sophomore year. We were in Florida somewhere, and we drove like three hours to go play this Korean 
college team and talk about an impressive infield. I'd never seen an infield. They were turning five, six threes and three, four ones. Like I had never seen the pace of an in and out like that before. It was unbelievable. And my, the SID comes up to my dad before the game. He was like, Hey, you're going to have to present a gift at home plate. And my dad was like, I don't have anything. And so dug in his briefcase and got media guides out. So they, they, they walk up with this huge wreath. It was a beautiful wreath, like almost like something you'd put over a horse that wins in the Kentucky Derby. So they have this huge flower wreath, and my dad hands over uh, media guides for them. That was the, <laughs> the gift that he brought them. It was unbelievable. But talk about just just the experience of playing somebody that's not in your realm. Like the, the infield outfield they took was the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I've, I've seen the, the Japanese do that. And then, and then we played Chinese Taipei when I was at Iowa. We went over and played in that in the Netherlands and that they called it called it the Harlem Honkball Week. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but and Dwayne Banks said, you know, whatever. I don't know if he set that all up or how the University of Iowa baseball team got invited. But, yeah, the same kind of thing. And it's, you know, we were we were handing out these little Hawkeye stickers that we all had a big role out to these kids and you know, they'd be coming up, sticker, sticker, we want a sticker, you know, <laughs> so we're, that was, uh, but it is fun, they, they really, I mean, uh, over in those countries, they really, really love baseball, and they, they love having the American, Americans coming over there to play, and it's really neat. Hey, we do quite a few father and son episodes, and Tyler played at Eastern Kentucky. Talk about that decision a little bit, where he's going to go play there, and maybe, was it ever an option for him to come play for you? You know, it's funny because we have uh, obviously great father-son relationship, but just growing up, um, you know, especially when he got older and, you know, he, he would, I, I never, I always tell parents, you know, I would only, don't, don't push your, your son into playing all the time I and mean, don't bug him because they'll lose interest. And I never did do that. I let him play and you might understand, you know, I mean, you understand as a coach, you know, we're busy. I, I don't. I, di I didn't coach him. I never coached my son. I when I told my wife, when I go to Little League game, I don't want people to talk to me about baseball. I want to I want to watch the game like any parent and enjoy watching my kid play. And so I never pushed him. So I, I, I always tell parents I would only feed him when he wanted to be fed. Like if he want if he asked me to go to the batting cage, then I'd get up and, and take him. But I never said Hey, Tyler, we got to go hit or you got to do this. I never pushed him. That was one thing I, I think that helped him in the end as I look back on his career. And he had a he had a nice little baseball career, but but it was, you know, that we never talked about playing at Flagler, but him as a little kid growing up watching us, he always thought that he wasn't good enough to play at Flagler. It's kind of funny. And then um, you know, when he was in high school, he he started, he kind of he started doing well, I guess, his sophomore year, and and he got he got a lot of opportunities from junior colleges and Division two schools, a lot of calls, at, and there was only two Division one schools, and one was University of New Orleans, which the head coach at the time was Randy Bush, and then the other one was Eastern Kentucky, which was Elvis Dominguez, and 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 I didn't know either one of those guys. Uh, I mean, they saw him my wife took him to someplace in Atlanta. I was, in fact, what it was, those were the, his last two summers in high school were my two summers managing in Vermont. 
So I wasn't even around to go to any of these events or whatever. And it was different. He, he was playing travel ball, but not the travel ball they have now. There was these, they play in, I don't know, they, they had different things they did different. There wasn't as many events, but the events they went to were well attended by college coaches. And so he, 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 I get home that summer and he said, yeah, I've been in correspondence with Eastern Kentucky and, and New Orleans. So they both brought him out on official visits and he narrowed them down to those two schools because like, and it, like when I have camps, I'll, I'll say, how many guys here want to go division one? Well, every kid's going to raise their hand and you should, that should be your goal, play division one baseball. So, but those were, that was it. So he's got two chances to play division one baseball. Well, as a parent, I mean, you know, selfishly, I was thinking, God, I wish somebody in Florida would, <laughs> would like, like, you know, show some interest, but there were no D1s in Florida that showed interest, but these two schools. So he signed with University of New Orleans, Randy Bush, who I think my, I don't know if Randy's still with the Cubs or not. He is. He is. I but interviewed anyway, Ron Maestri the other day, so he's coming on because Ron's the Lefty Gomez winner this year. So it was a, a good conversation with Ron. So he talked about Randy. Oh, Bush. that's great. That's great. Well, anyway, so Randy... Randy recruited him. He signed with New Orleans, but that summer Randy left to go with the Cubs. And so the new coach came in and it was just one of those things. And I tell players these kind of things too, you know, I, I you, you never know. Every coach has a different feeling about players, but, but Tyler wasn't one of those. He didn't fit the, the style of play or the, you know, he wasn't a big guy. This, the, the coach that came in wanted, big hitters. That was fine. And so Tyler ended up transferring long story short, Elvis Dominguez, who I know as a coach and, you know, as a coach, when you recruit somebody and they don't come to your school, I mean, you're, you're disappointed. Probably they sign with somebody else. And if they reach back out, you know, a year or so later, you know, you, I mean, not many coaches do that, I guess would, or, or if the player would contact, well, Tyler didn't contact, Elvis Dominguez found out he left New Orleans and went to a junior college. He ended up transferring to junior college and contacted him, said, when you're done there, I still want you. And so I told Tyler at that point, I said, you know, you need to go to, I don't care who else, if anybody else is interested, this is just my opinion. Coach Dominguez, that's loyalty. That's somebody that really wants you. So Anyway, he went there and it was a perfect fit. Elvis was so good to him and taught him so much. I think Elvis, well, I know Elvis was an infielder when he played and uh, he really, really helped Tyler in his game. And so it was, it was the right fit. And, and again, you know, you know, as a former coach and recruiter, you know, it has to be, you tell players, you have to go somewhere where it's a right fit. And that was, that was the right fit. And I think that's where we miss the official visit piece now. Uh, you know, the transfer portal is getting a lot of play. I think that's why we're having some of the issues with transferring now is kids aren't allowed to take multiple official visits, get a feel for campuses, get a feel for coaching staffs. I think that's, that's why we're in the place we're in right now with the amount of kids transferring out of schools. Yeah, I, I agree, Ryan. Very sad that you know, some schools really haven't opened up to that and, and hopefully things get better, but yeah, it does. The whole dynamics of that is it's just different. I mean, I, you know, we all have to adjust and, and the, the loyalty piece bothers me a little bit. And I know the NCAA has allowed this and, 
and and I just think it's interesting. And and your your dad knows this that coached and you know we used to, in the early years we were judged on retention and graduation rates by the NCAA, and of course the the administration would that could be part of your evaluation, and it was when we went NCAA. That was part of my evaluation at the end of the year is, is, is student athlete baseball player retention. And that's all out the window now, you know, because it's, it's just, it's open game. If, if somebody's either not happy where they are, or they don't like the school, they can, it's easy to get into the transfer portal and go somewhere else. And, and I, I don't know, I, I can't say I, 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 I can tell you, I don't like it, but, but it is the way it is. It's the way of the world, but it's, it's a little discouraging sometimes when you're trying to build a team and you think, okay, we've got a, a good group of freshmen. They're not ready yet, but they're going to be ready in two or three years. And, and we keep all these guys together. We got, we got the makings of a championship team. Well, you know, these rosters turn over a lot and, and that's just, it's, it's tough. How was the transition from NAIA to division two? It was um, quite honestly in Florida, it, it was, I, I feel like we get better players, but the NAI down here, the conference we were in where they had a lot of transfers, you know, so the level of baseball and, and that's certainly not to, you know, I don't want to take away from the old alumni because we had some good players. We probably have more good players than we had have collectively when we were in, when we were in the NAI, but, but um, yeah, the, it, it, it was a, it was a jump. Um, we went into the peach belt conference, which, I kind of call that the SEC of, of Division Two. It's really, really top to bottom, some really good teams. And so every, every game you got to be ready to play. And, and that's been, you know, it's, it's, it, it was an adjustment. But I, but I tell you what, when we went from NAI to NCAA, it was a little bit easier to recruit just the branding aspect of it. Yeah, and, I, I, you know, NAI, this, the programs have done a great job now. Um, you know, and, and you look at both of those levels, NAI and Division Two, and the state of Florida, some unbelievable programs at, at both of those levels. Yeah, there really are. There really are. And then, you know, recruiting wise, you know, a lot of people may or may not know this. There are 13 Division One schools in the state of Florida. So, so you know, they're, they're out there getting everybody thinks Florida has all these great players. Well, yeah, there are a lot of good players in Florida, but, you know, they get it, it's tough for NAI division two. We don't have division three in Florida, but, but for us to get those frontline players, we kind of have to be patient and wait till the, the pick of the litter uh, gets done. And then <laughs> we got to get the best of the rest. But the great thing with baseball is kids develop later. You developed later. I developed later. There's going to be some kids that fall through the cracks that aren't ready as freshmen and sophomores in high school that start to figure it out as juniors and then really figure it out as seniors. There's going to be some really good baseball players available late in the process. And, and that might be one of the benefits of the, the D1s going earlier with recruiting is because there's going to be some D1 guys that are good, that just don't get opportunities, that are going to make huge impacts at other schools? No, there's no question. There's no question. We have a countless stories on that. And I'm sure a lot of college coaches at our level, Division II level, because we get, yeah, we get guys that it, it's amazing how how some of them develop. I can give you a good example. We had a player named Aaron Anderson 
who as a freshman hurt his arm a little bit, but he wasn't going to play much. He wasn't ready as a freshman. Then as a sophomore, no, the kid worked beyond his work ethic was just off the charts. But anyway, he, he got better and better and better. Well, the pandemic hits, of course, he, he still has two years of eligibility technically, and he's graduated. He graduated Flagler with a 4.0. I mean, this guy is like, I mean, remember his name, Aaron Anderson. I, I, I love this kid, but he, he transferred to Liberty University and he led their team in hitting last year. They went, of course, to the regionals. You know, they had a heck of a year and I think they're going to have another great year. He transitioned from playing first base for me to left field for Liberty. He, I want to say that he, if you look up the, he had like 28, 27 or 28 doubles. He was like in the top two, if not the top in the nation in doubles. So he transitioned from being a division two player to a division one player at a high level. Liberty is, I mean, Liberty is very, very good. I was and with Scott them last fall. I, I went to their practice. So we were trying to get film in. So I would do some practice days. So I saw them and um, good squad. Coach Jackson does a great job. It's great, great facility at Liberty. Much different than when I was coaching at James Madison. And you'd go there. Their facility there is one of the best in the country now. It's awesome. So anyway, but I just, I just tell that quick story because, you know, players, he was a guy that was, a, I say, a late developer. He wasn't recruited out of high school. I mean – very few few places to go and uh, came to Flagler was somewhat of a local kid was from uh, Jacksonville but but he uh what a great player he's become quick break for another one of our sponsors Mark Pro that is M A R C Pro Personally, I used it as a coach for my ragged out BP arm and legs after a tough workout. We saw huge benefits with our pitchers and position players in decreased soreness and recovery time. It's an amazing machine that speeds up the recovery process by getting blood flow back to the areas that need it. It's durable and cost-effective. The Mark Pro needs to be a tool in your peak performance toolkit. I can't recommend it enough. Hit me up if you have any questions. Order now on markpro.com and use the promo code ABCA to get 10% off. Now back to the podcast. Hey, we talked off air about your dual role as as AD for a while. Um, you know, how was that transition of adding another huge responsibility on your plate, your coaching and also AD? Talk a little bit about that transition of adding a, a huge job on your plate. Yeah, well, at, at that time, uh, Ryan, we were NAI when I was the athletic director. I, I was involved in our three-year provisional status to get us to NCAA Division II, but our president had told me when that provisional status ends that I would have to make a decision to either just be full-time athletic director or full-time baseball coach. And, and the reason I mention all that, and, and not to say it was, it was just easy being an NAI AD, but it was a lot different. Okay. And, and it wasn't as, as taxing as it is now I can, I can understand. And, and our athletic director now, Judd Damon, who's been here for 12 years, I always joke with him and, and we're, we're, we're great friends and colleagues and he's a great athletic director but I always say I, I don't miss your job and because it's different it's different being an NCAA athletic director as opposed to NAI so and and we don't have it we didn't have as many sports we had I believe eight sports when I was the athletic director now we have 15 at Flagler and 
So a lot, it's, it's a whole different dynamic. I was able to manage it, but quite frankly, I look back and I, it probably did take away a little bit of my energy with the baseball program at times, you know, trying, you know, having there are a few, you're always going to have a few headaches doing, you know, being a dual role AD coach, but, but anyway, it was manageable. And as I look back, it's like anything else, you know, you did it, you made it work. And, and uh, it was, I was glad that I enjoyed it. And you mentioned your assistants and, and with your coaching tree, obviously fits Stan Fitzgerald's in there. Oh, five, Oh, six. But as you've been doing this a while, do you feel like, obviously you're mentoring your own players, but do you feel like with your experience now, you're mentoring your young assistants also? Yeah, I would hope so. I, I would hope, just like I mentioned earlier, that they're uh, they're listening and, you know, if they want to move in this game and and uh, and possibly be a head coach, you know, there's a, a lot of lot of things to learn. It's it, it sometimes you know, especially a coach that's been a place a long time, it looks kind of easy, you know, uh, for a young assistant thinks, oh, well, this is, you know, this isn't that tough. I, I could do it. Well, you know, I guess we all think that way at some point, but when you're thrown into it, all of a sudden, there's a lot of aspects that go in, you know, it's not just, oh, I, I know a little bit about pitching. I know a little bit about hitting. I know a little bit about infield play and outfield play and catching and game management all there's all these other things that that hit you as a head coach so you know I, I hope that the assistants that I've had I, and I know they pay attention and and you mentioned Dan Fitzgerald what a what a great assistant coach and I'm so proud of Dan he's you know now the assistant at LSU and and he's a tremendous a tremendous individual but a tremendous coach I mean he he's he, a winner experience I, he's a winner he is he's won everywhere he's been He's a winner. He is. And, 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 uh, you know, he was a Hawkeye too, you know, like you and I, and, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he deserves everything he's gotten and he'll do a, he'll do a tremendous job at LSU. And, and then the other guy that I was lucky enough to, to have with me as, as my first full-time assistant coach, you know, because before I mentioned Tom Signor and I mentioned some other people, but they all, they all were part-time. They had to mow the grass and do different things just to, kind of make ends meet. And then finally we started a JV program at Flagler. And, and so they said, Dave, we're going to give you a full-time coach. And it wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough to live on. And, and the first coach I hired was a guy named Link Jarrett. And, and I, and I only knew Link as a player and Link cause Link had never coached. He had just finished playing with the Colorado Rockies. And, and somebody had told me he wanted to get into coaching. And we really didn't know each other. I knew Link. Link came, believe it or not, and worked out at a Flagler workout we had. And, uh, and you know, that's obviously that was, I, I joke with Link, I, I made the mistake of not taking you as a player because he went on to be an All-American at Florida State. And he was a late bloomer. But, but anyway, what a, what a great, not only a great player, but gr another great individual and and he was with me for, I want to say three years. And then he, you know, he had quite a journey, went as a volunteer, he went as the volunteer assistant at Florida state where he played, worked under Mike Martin. Then he went to Mercer then he went to East Carolina. Then he went to Auburn, then UNC Grant. I mean, you know, he, he, he moved around, but he did what he had to do. And, and now he's the head coach at Notre Dame and, and God, what an impact he's made in a short period of time. Tremendous. 
Hey, what are some things that you've kept over the years as a coach? It might be managing people or on-field stuff. What are some things that you were doing in the beginning that that you've kept over time? Well, you know, your your, your work ethic never never stops. Uh, you know, it, I was in a situation where we I had to basically build a build a field field construction and and all that. And and of course, you always you know in Florida you can have a nice field, you can grow grass year round and. And so, you know, everybody took pride in their field. So facility wise, I, you know, I still do that. And I hope my assistants have learned things about that. Um, you know, how to, how you deal with players, you know, you, you have to, you have to treat them fair, treat them like you'd want to be treated yourself. Uh, you know, I think uh, practice management is important. You know, the things you do at practice, be productive. Uh, it's not the length of practice. It's what you get done and the things you hit on. I think, uh, you know, every coach has their pet peeves. You know, mine is base running and, and throwing the ball accurate all the time. So, you know, they might be seem like simple parts of the game, but they're crucial parts of the game. They're important. And, and obviously, uh, you know, working with players individually to help them get better, um, you know, constantly communicating with them. I think these are things that, that you have to do. You can't, you want to recruit. It's, it's easy to, I mean, I, it's easy to recruit good players and just let them play. And, and sometimes we're lucky enough to have those kind of teams. But I know at our level, it's, it's really – there's a lot of development involved in, uh, in trying to get guys better. And, and some guys do and some guys don't. You know, you coached and you do the best you can. But I, but I think the coaches got to understand you can't just bring them in and you got to coach them up a little bit too. And, and you, and you got to talk to them a lot about uh, – not just what happens on the field, but off the field. I mean, it, cause in the end, you know, baseball doesn't last forever. So we try to teach them a lot of life lessons through the game of baseball, which it's the best sport to do that. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, coaches, I'm, those are the, those are the things I learned as a young coach, you know, working with banks and Petroff and, 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 and coach and playing under coach Roberts and, and Mike Fox was my teammate at North Carolina. I mean, I I've been around, you know, you surround yourself with good people. I've, I've not only been able to surround myself with good people, some of it not just by accident, but I've been blessed to be, even as a player, around really good people. That My manager with the Expos was Pat Darty. I don't know if you know that name, but he's in the ABCA Hall of Fame. So it's, it's kind of fate. You know, the Lord's been good to me because I've just been, been around these people, you know, just – just being in the game. I mean, not, I, I really, I pinch myself sometimes. What a lucky guy, but I learned from all of those people that I was around as a player and the assistant coaches and then other coaches going to the ABCA conventions. I went religiously from the time I started coaching. Even, even I even went before I went to Iowa, I, I went the first uh, ABCA convention was at the fountain blue in Miami. And so, you know, that was back in uh, maybe 1980 or 81 or, you know, it was a long time ago, but, but I've been going, I've, I've only missed probably two or three conventions in all my years coaching as an assistant or as a head coach. Hey, I want to back up. I think field maintenance has changed a ton too, correct? I mean, I, I just think about being on a field with my dad when I was five years old and taking a coffee can to get the water off the field. I think the field maintenance piece has changed tremendously as well. 
well, it has. I mean, I, you know, now they have ground ground groundskeepers at a lot of these big schools, and what we we don't have those yet. But we do we do have somebody that mows, mows the grass now, where we have a company that does that and puts down the fertilizer and the chemicals for the weeds and the mole crickets and the worms and all that stuff. Those were that, those were things I did in my early years, but but you know it has changed now. What we did at Flagler, you know, in Florida is Florida, and there's you know there's a lot of water around. So and when it rains hard, the fields don't drain well. It's hard to have a field in Florida that drains well. So we put in uh, artificial turf on our infield because of the same thing you said: getting that cup of water and putting it in a bucket, and dumping it, trying to get ready for the game or or calling the players at seven in the morning. We got to get the tarp out because it's going to rain later this morning and we play tonight. We got to have it out. All those things are eliminated for me with artificial turf. And, and that's, that's a big piece too. When you think about all the, all the colleges now that have artificial turf. And I, I, I would venture to say in another 10 years, 15 years, I think you'll see most all fields like that. And, uh, and then the maintenance part won't be there. What are some things you've changed over time? Anything you've changed over time with how you're doing things? In, in as far as facilities? Or? No, as far as your coaching philosophy, what you're doing on the field, what you're doing off the field, are there any things that you've, you've tweaked over the years? Well, you know, the – I think the communication part is, is real important with the players. You know, they got a lot going on now. So, you know, we, we talk to them. I probably communicate more, more often than, than I did in the past. Just, you know, how are they doing? Uh, obviously not just those simple questions, how are you doing in school, but you know, how are you doing in life? Everything going okay. Are you, are you, are you happy or, you know, are you, are you enjoying your time in college? Uh, are you enjoying being out here in a baseball field? And, you know, so you, I, I think that's important now. And I've, I've certainly done that as a coach, an older coach. And yeah, you know, I, I don't know how these guys look at me. Maybe they look at me more as a, as a grandpa figure than a fatherly figure, but, uh, but you know, that, I think that's really important nowadays. It's, it's a lot more communication, you know, back in the old days, some coaches just didn't communicate a lot. I, I remember recruiting a player uh, from a Division One program, or he transferred in here, and I picked him up at the airport. We were waiting for his luggage, and we had about a 20-minute conversation, and he had been at this college program for two years, a Division One, a fairly high-profile program at the time, and said, he, he, he looks at me, says, you've talked to me more in these 20 minutes than my head coach has talked to me in two years. So, and, and not that there's, but that's just the way it was, I think, years ago. You know, you, it's not that you didn't talk to the players, but you went about your business and that was it. And it was up to you to figure some things out. Get, the coach wasn't there all the time to correct a, a mechanic in your swing or your delivery or whatever it might be. The, the players, they want that. They want that interaction. They want that conversation. They want, and so, you know, I, and I understand that. And so, you know, I found myself, you know, doing as, as good a job as I can do with that, with these, with this generation of players. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you along the way, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Well, uh, 
you know, I, I think that staying at Flagler was, was the right thing to do uh, for me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't ever look and say, golly, you know, maybe I should have, you know, tested the waters of division one or, you know, I, I really have had a, a really a good career here at this college. And, and I say the college, I'm not talking about just the baseball part, but it's, it's been a really, it's a unique college. I watched it grow. It's not an old college. It's only 50 some years old. I mean, it opened in 1968. The first graduating class was 1972. I came here as a student in 1980 to finish my degree. So, you know, we're talking about it, it hasn't, I've, I've got to watch this college grow and, and I've, I've learned a lot and, uh, and met a lot of good people. And, and like you mentioned earlier, St. Augustine's a, a really a unique place. So that, that, that's probably weighs in as well. And so it's, I, I don't, I don't have any, I, I don't think no, no regrets by any means. Uh, very, very thankful for, for being able to stay in the game this long and, and, and really all the people you meet, Ryan, as you know, that that's, that's, that's what we, that's what we enjoy the most, the camaraderie, the, all our colleagues. It's, it's, it's been very enjoyable. Do you have any morning or evening routines that you do that you like? Um, anything that you feel like helps you stay on top of your schedule? Well, I, I, I get up early, like a lot of old people, I guess. I get up early and I go to bed early. I, I, have to, I had to get up this morning to see the final score of the Red Sox-Astros game. But um, but now, you know, I, I, I do enjoy my morning time. So I, I, that's when I, I'll sit down and, and read the newspaper and I'll, I'll get my little calendar book out and, and kind of plan, you know, the, the most important things, prioritize what I got to get done today, you know, along with the – I usually have the practice schedule done the day before, you know, and it's just like a lot of coaches, probably we, we try to stay as organized as we can and we have a practice schedule and, and what we want to get done. Sometimes I might tweak it that morning, you know, before we start practice that afternoon, which is I'm, I'm going to do today because I decided I'm going to change something. We're going to, but you know, Hey, wait, I'm not going to let, Hey, what what are you going to change for today? I'm not letting you go on that. What do you change? What are you well, tweaking for practice? We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna hit first instead of later in the practice, and then we're gonna work on our pickup. We had an inter squad game last night, and so I, I've got to I've got to get our our middle infielders in routine in a routine of of keeping the runners a little bit tighter at second, and and the pitchers to pay attention to the to pickoff signals and the catchers. So we're gonna. We're going to kind of reinforce that and ingrain that and, and uh, maybe a couple things on uh, some cutoffs. And then we're going to – but we're going to hit first and then do that. <laughs> what does it mean going into the ABC Hall of Fame? Well, it was uh, – I mean, I, you know, very, very, very humbled to say the least. Um, you know, quite honestly, Ryan, I don't, I don't think about – that it wasn't something that was like on my my wish list or I hope someday, you know, because I've been a lucky guy. I, I've I've had a lot of things, I, a lot of things afforded to me in in my my lifetime as a player and as a person. I'm, I've got a a great family, a, a great my my wife is unbelievable. So 
you know, that this is, this is, is quite an honor, uh, whether I, I don't know if I'm really deserving or not, but I, I you can't are. thank you are. all the people, all the people that were involved in, and however that decision is made. And, and, but I really, I really truly am honored to be just a part of that fraternity. I mean, there's so many great individuals, not just coaches, because, because, you know, the people that I know that are in it, which I know a lot, they're all great people. I mean, it's not just that I honor, I'm, I'm, you know, I look at them and I'm in, you know, I'm enthralled by what kind of coaches they are, but what kind of people they are. And, and there's such, there's such great people for me to, just being that fraternity is is beyond i mean beyond comprehension really but i'm very thankful and, and i really look forward to the ceremony in january what are some final thoughts or maybe somebody you haven't thanked yet that you want to thank oh gosh i mean there there are so many people you know i i think about uh you know i do i i have thought about you know i've got to decide what you know what to say and 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 in, in the five minutes, I think Matt West said, you got five minutes because we got however many inductees, what, 14 or 15 or whatever it is, you know, two years worth. And so and it's not that I, you know, I'm, I'm just make sure that I, I think there's there's so many people. And, and, and I, my biggest fear is leaving somebody out. But uh, but now there's I mean, again, it starts with. Dwayne Banks get, gave me an opportunity, and and I'll never forget that. And I, and I learned a lot from him. I mean, he he's just like anybody. I mean, the very first person you coach for, you you got to think about, um, you know. So he he gave me that opportunity. It could have been a bad experience, Ryan and I could and I could have took taken a whole different path. But obviously, it was a good experience because you know at the time is. You know, everybody thinks they want to be in the coaching. Well, I was done playing now. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, it was my goal, but still, you don't know until you do it. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that I've had assistants that that will work a year or so here at Flagler and say, Coach, I'm gonna. I think I've decided I'm gonna do something else. A lot of them have done that, and I understand. It's not all. It's it's not cut out for everybody, but. I had such a good experience there at University of Iowa with Coach Banks that that I it, it obviously it, it just motivated me more to want to be a head ba- head baseball coach in college. Dave, thanks for your time. Appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to seeing you in January. You bet. Thank you, Ryan. Really enjoyed it. Congrats again to Coach Barnett. The thing that sticks out about Coach Barnett is how grateful he is for the opportunities he's got along the way. I love that I get to connect with so many great people on the podcast. It's one of the many things I look forward to every week. I'm always amazed at the many paths that our guests take to get to where they're at. Success leaves clues, and part of that is the sacrifices that successful people make along the way. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West, and the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee.abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, Coach B underscore ABCA. Instagram Ryan Brownlee 17 or direct message me via the MyBSA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you.
door.